Hey, good morning, everybody. Mark Coxon and Jared Hellman with AV Daybreak. How are you, Jared? You did it. Good job. You did it. I, I didn't. AV Daybreak. It was clean. It was clear. I didn't stutter. Nope. Did nope. you see that? Did you see the SNL? Um, did it, do I stutter? Did you see that <laughs> skit? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was. We uh, reference SNL quite a bit on the show. I think, yeah, I think we reference a lot of, but this one wasn't with Norm Macdonald. Very pop culture. Yeah. This was, this was uh, Seth MacFarlane, I think, from Family Guy. Isn't that the Family Guy creator? That guy, have you ever seen him in any, like, just kind of regular interview? No. He seems like a cool guy, man. Like, yeah. And extremely talented. Like, the amount of voices he can do. Yeah, it's insane. Anyways. That's well, he he was a he was a drill instructor on Saturday Night Live, and yep. he's running through and he's telling everybody what to do. For anybody who didn't see this, and he starts and every time he says something, he goes, "Did I stutter?" And they're like, "No, sir." <laughs> and then the next time he says something, he actually stutters. And then the guy's he like, "Do I stutter? stutter?" And he's like, "Well, you did a little bit, sir. <laughs> you know, like just just a little bit." Uh, um, yeah, but I am I am pretty good. I'm actually in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Oh, today. Nice. So I've, I've I've traveled about five and a half uh, five and a half hours east of my my normal location. Wow! And you're out there I'm doing actually, work. I'm actually in the home of Mr. Brock McGinnis. You are not in the hometown. Yeah, but oh, he doesn't live hometown. Anymore. I thought you were in, in his hometown. house. I thought you were saying you're in his house. No, no. He, I'm like, he, why does Brock McGinnis have hotel style artwork on his walls <laughs> in his guest room? Because it, it, it's because he traveled so much, it brings him comfort. Oh, got you. Yeah. Got you. No, no, he lives in Toronto, um, but he he's from Winnipeg. Okay. Um, and so he wasn't around when I looked him up, unfortunately. He's living the big city life. Yeah. Well, I was from, I'm from Arizona, so we stole something from Winnipeg. What? The Coyotes. Canadians? The, the, oh, the Jets. Yeah. Oh, right. In fact, Allison Cooney, uh, AV person Florida. up there is from she's Winnipeg. She's also in Winnipeg. She yeah. is. She's from Winnipeg. And um, the way that we bonded when I first got to Milestone was um, she kept DMing me, telling me that uh, Winnipeg wanted the picture of the queen back because uh, <laughs> it actually went with the Jets to Arizona. And so the Coyotes yeah. still had the picture of the queen. So there you go. I, I, I think I might actually be uh, meeting with her tonight. Oh, really? That's awesome. She's, yeah. she's extremely hilarious. Yes. And a side note, she's an amazing singer. I don't know if you know that. No, she's not. She I've is. known her for like 10 years. I've never heard that. Oh my goodness. Well, I worked at Milestone with her and we would have karaoke nights. And if you get her singing, I will survive at karaoke night, she clears the, the, the room. Everybody's oh out of their gosh. seats. She's insane. So now you know. Allison and I, um, we don't ever get the chance to sing because I think typically when we get together, we speak in movie quotes. Oh. And um, I remember one time the chief roadshow was coming through our town. Yep. And so um, I, you had to register for it as a dealer. Yep. And so I, I registered and under my name, um, I put John Johnson. And then in the comments, I said, but my friends call me Vicky. If you're, if you're familiar yep. with that from some American yep. Oxford. And uh, whoever was managing the registration, like had to pull Allison aside and be like, who, what? This guy, says, this, guy says his, this guy says his name is john johnson but uh his friends call him vicky and she's like oh she's like yeah i definitely know who that is so yes yeah, she's exactly. she's a good time she's fun that's awesome man 
Well, I, I'm excited about today because yep. you have invited a guest. Yeah. And it's someone I don't know, which is even better. Yeah. I think it's someone who's going to, um, you know, be new to most of the AV community, which will be also very amazing. And so I'm, I'm excited to bring, uh, bring some insight from outside of our little uh, kind of, you know, tight yeah. circle that we travel in. Our little bubble. Our bubble. I guess that's what a tight circle is, right? No, that's more like a, it's a sphere, but yeah, it is a bubble. Like a half, but it's only a half sphere. <laughs> well, I guess if, I'm thinking of a bubble on a surface that I'm trapped in, but if oh, it's okay. a full bubble that I'm floating in the air trapped in, you're right. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a sphere. <laughs> well, uh, awesome. Well, why don't, you, why, don't you introduce, uh, why don't you introduce our guest and tell us a little bit about, about how you guys met? Yeah, so, so our guest is, is my, my personal friend, Keenan Flagel. And Keenan is also from where I'm from. And we have been friends um, since I would say probably, probably grade 10 in high school. And, you know, that's only, that's only three years ago for us, Mark. Three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, so you know what happened was uh, Keenan and I had coffee on the weekend. And, and Keenan's one of my favorite people to talk with because he um, thinks – in on the long, along the same lines as I do, um, but not necessarily agrees with me all the time. And, um, and so we have really great conversations about different things from leadership to um, this, this specific time, it was education. Um, and that happens to be where his in, incredible strengths are, is in education. Keenan works for a post-secondary school that- Ah, okay. Um, it's a, it's a polytechnic school. And so he works on, I'll let, I'll probably let him clarify more about what he does, but he, he's in the adult education side. So he puts together adult education. And so we got into a conversation about how in our industry, there is, there's very limited formal education. And so um, it would be interesting to just hear how someone could put together yeah. a strong and effective um Nobody's nobody's talking about that in our industry. No, no one's talking about that. <laughs> nobody's so, trying to solve that problem. So, anyways, um, yeah. So I, I'm like, Keenan, you should come on our show. So I dragged him on here. He got up at 7 a.m. to attend, and so here he is. So, so hey, Keenan. Hey guys, thanks for having me. No, I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited, man. Thanks for joining us on the show for sure. Yeah. So oh, this is great. So, Keenan, you might have to you might have to talk a little bit more about it, precisely what you do. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm an educational developer in a vocational school, so um, like an experiential um, applied uh, learning school. So uh, focus. So we're called Saskatchewan Polytechnic, and we focus on um, we have programs that ranging from welding, carpentry to uh, like RNs or registered nurses to uh, dental hygienists, and it's all applied learning. So it's all yeah. focused on that ex experiential piece, applying what you learn to your craft and uh, giving you the job specific and job ready skills that you need to be effective in your work. Um, so I've been doing that now for um, two years. And what I do there is I actually work in uh, the learning and teaching department. And, and we focus on, in simplest terms, it's teaching the teacher. So we get the subject matter experts. So, uh, welders who are experts in their craft, carpenters who are experts in their craft, who've never 
taught adults before. But what we do is then we supply them with information and knowledge then to teach adults more effectively uh, and to uh, conduct proper assessments of their knowledge and, and all that. Make sure that they're sending uh, industry ready uh, people out into to the workforce. So that's awesome. That, there's, there's two things I, I love about what you said. Um, number one, you know, I think at least in the United States, and I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but you, at least in the United States, I think there's a lot of emphasis placed on post-secondary, more in a university setting, but not enough in post-secondary as it regards to becoming a tradesman, right? And I think um, over time, I think we, we don't have a great plan on how we continue to produce great tradesmen. There are some unions that have programs and apprenticeships and things like that. I'm not saying there aren't, but uh, I think, you know, overall, we put a lot of emphasis on our kids on, on going and getting a degree and, you know, in post-secondary, yeah. like an English literature degree. And we never talk about like, maybe you want to be an air conditioning contractor, or maybe you want to be a welder, or maybe you want to yeah. be a plumber. Um, right. You know, I have a friend, he's a, um, he's a project manager for, for Wells Fargo Bank. In, and uh, he does IT for them. Um, and he's trying to talk his daughters into becoming plumbers because he's watching the future job growth curves in, in the United States. And he's like, plumbers are going to make $250 an hour because there, there aren't yeah. going to be enough of them. Like pipes are going to clog and freeze and we didn't, we're not going to have enough. They're plumbers. one of the high stakes trades in our yeah. area, I think actually are plumbers. Yeah. And so number one, I love that. Num number two, what I like about what you're doing. And I think um, this is something maybe Jared that, Keenan could really help shed some insight on, yep. but um, making sure that the people that have done it are the ones who are, who are initiating, I guess, that, that knowledge transfer, right? Like it's easy yeah. to teach, it's easy to teach something from a book theoretically, but, but uh, Hey, to go back to another episode, Jared, uh, that we talked about the Martian, in the book, um, you know, <laughs> chemistry is messy, right? Like life is messy. So the theory in the book often hits the real world. And when that happens, you know, you want to have people in there that are able to speak to, this is the way they say it works. This is what I've seen throughout my, my time and training someone to be yeah. able to, to relate that in a way that allows someone else to acquire those skills is, is I think so important. I couldn't agree with you more, Mark. Based off of personal experience, I have a kinesiology degree, so I started in the fitness world, and I yep. was personal trainer, fitness coach for over ten years. Owned my own business. Um, so, to become a kinesiologist, I and a personal trainer actually got my university degree, degree kinesiology. And looking back, there was a massive lack of experiential hands-on this is what the real world is going to be like because you can't go to page 10 of your textbook and say oh this person has a little uh, knee pain here or this person is uh, you know there's there's issues with adhering to diet and all it's page 10 of the textbook isn't going to tell you how to work with that and how to yeah. work with human beings and how to solve problems critically it has to be done in a, in a in a, in a space that allows you to explore um, the content, allows you to experience what can go wrong and what can go right and how to work with other people. And so sitting in a, in a classroom in a closed environment, reading a textbook and writing a multiple choice exam, in my opinion, isn't 
the answer. Yeah. <laughs> you, universities are so focused on, on that, that for some reason there's this hierarchy of university education versus vocational education. And um, I know a lot of people who don't have university educations and talking, I'm best friends with one that has made a hell of a career for himself. Hopefully I can, sorry if I can't swear in the show, but. I <laughs> <laughs> will let it slide this time. That one's okay. <laughs> yeah. Hell's all right. We'll, we'll yeah. allow hell. Yeah. And I may be going on a, a little bit of a rant, but it's just, uh, it, it's, it's, there, you don't focus enough on that experiential piece in education. And, and, and there is, there is a place for textbook education though. I mean, we, we don't absolutely. want to take away from that and that's just no. me being diplomatic, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm with you. And, and so, and that's what we see in the, in the AB industry is typically it's that torch being passed from more experienced people. The company hires someone new, the, the more experienced people just teach that person the ropes. But yeah. in no, in, in a lot of times, in no official capacity, in no structured capacity. And so, um, Keenan, what, what do you find? It's what I, what I thought was interesting that you said, and I didn't realize this, is that you actually take experienced, let's, let's just call them journeymen. Let's just say you take experienced journeymen who have been doing um, the, the job of whatever they're teaching for a number of years to gain, you know, uh, personal experience. What do you find that, that they are missing um, a lot of times on that knowledge transfer piece? So um, I'm hope I'm asking this correctly, but what, what, skill, what skill set do, I'm basically asking if you were to say, hey, you know what, if you really want to train people in your, within your company and you really want to bring up the new people, what, what kind of steps would you say someone like that needs to take to, to improve how effective their teaching is rather than just, okay, you're working with Jim today. Um, he's going to show you the ropes, you know, that kind of mm. like, what kind of steps would, would one take? I think there's a lot to be said about mentorship and coaching. And so if it's structured in a, in, in such a way, I think you can get a lot out of it. Um, now saying just follow so-and-so and, and, -so and, and yeah. learn the ropes. I think that's pretty open and, and loose that, you know, one might not be understanding their role. So maybe the mentor is not understanding that I'm here to provide mentorship or coaching. It's more of a, this person is just my little puppy today and they're going to follow me around and see what I do. And, you and know, grab better... the tools when I need them. He's going to yeah. load, the, he's going to load the tools in. That's right. So <laughs> I think there's a, I think there's a lot to be said about mentorship and coaching. And that's, and that's where our department starting to focus more on is, what what we're doing currently is uh, we bring these SMEs, so subject matter experts, in, and they come teach their their craft. But the problem is, is we're focused on actually setting them down in a classroom, and they do uh, they do 24 credits online to learn how to teach. And we're starting to realize that that's very ineffective because we're trying to say this is applied education, teaching as an applied craft. You know, it's it's not out of page 10, like I said, of the textbook, there's a lot of yeah. elements, human elements, and a lot of things that just are different from situation to situation. It applies a lot, it involves a lot of critical thought and uh, just a lot of being able to think on the spot. So going back to training these, these teachers, these SMEs to be effective teachers, we need to really focus more on being mentors and being coaches to them and guiding them uh, and, and, and 
guiding them and, pro and providing them that, that shoulder to lean on essentially. And don't, not just giving them the answers or having them write a paper. It's more of just, uh, this is what I tried. Sit down and let's talk about it. Mentor or mentee and, and yeah. mentor can go in. And, and so I think that can apply to every field is mentorship and coaching goes a long, long, long way. Um, and that's something where we've struggled in our department, getting these instructors ready to teach their learners is we're just saying, sit down in a classroom, read a bunch of theory and try to apply it. Well, if we use coaching and mentorship and, and, and model that so they can use coaching and mentorship to their students, I think that starts to create this learning environment that's vibrant and, and far more effective in my opinion. And that yeah. just comes from my coaching experience as a, as a personal trainer and a fitness coach where I feel that that coaching mentorship is just so huge. Yeah. Well, th that's very interesting to me, Keenan, the, the background in kinesiology, because um, being a personal trainer, sometimes, sometimes what you're asking people to do, you have to be very demonstrative in how you show them how to do something. Right. Like if I did, if like, let's say a clean and a press, right. There's a very, there's a, there's a way to do that, that you don't hurt your back and snap yourself in two. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and just saying, well, you take the bar from the floor to your chest and then you push it over <laughs> your head. Now that is the instruction, right. But there are, there are a lot of, there are a lot of little intricacies in how that works in, in the rhythm of that. And the only way to really show that is to do it for somebody and say, this yeah. is what it looks like. Watch them do it. Say, great, these two parts were great. Let's work on these parts. You have these skills. Mm -hmm. Let's round out these other ones. And I think when you get, like you said, in kind of this hand-to-hand -hand combat with people, teaching teachers to not teach in one way that dismisses maybe a unique strength of a student and puts them off or puts them in the back seat, right? Being able to take that survey, those soft skills and say, okay, here's kind of where our base level is on, on this piece. So I'm going to start there. I'm going to acknowledge that some people may know this, but I'm just backing up a little bit. And then I'm going to take from there and really round out what they need to know to get them to the next level. Um, the reason I say this too, is I teach, I teach Muay Thai kickboxing. I've taught, I've done Muay Thai kickboxing for 26 years. I teach it at a Krav Maga gym, which is like an Israeli martial arts gym. And, you know, um, there's always some level of skill set or knowledge or conception. Sometimes it's not learned knowledge. It's this idea of what they think you do in your head that you're combating. Right. And so, um, anyways, I, I like that idea that the way to make somebody a better teacher is to teach them in the way that you think that they should be able to teach their students, right? Like that's a, it's a very, it's just a very, I mean, it takes longer. For sure. I think, I think, I think you'd also have to cover, I think most people, when you look at the, the, the model of, hey, this is, this is Keenan, he's going to be working with Jim for the day. Uh, Jim, you, or Keenan, you just go and watch Jim. I think the other thing that, that, that carries is a large assumption that Keenan now learns only by watching. That's right. And, and that's not a, that's a that's a large assumption because people learn in dozens of different ways you know for for myself i'm i'm a hands-on person and so if you were to stick me with a journeyman and say okay you just go watch him do do things for a couple of weeks and then and and if he never let me 
do anything. And if he never let me try or showed me, you know, I'd be missing out on a huge opportunity. And that, that, that kind of training would any, any training that goes against how I learned would, would put me off. And that's exactly what happens in adult education is I think a lot of people, and it might just be a default setting that we have. I'm not entirely sure, but we think back to how we were taught. It was very lecture based. It was very teacher focused and the students are passive vessels sitting in a seat with this. They're ready to be filled with knowledge. Yeah. The sponge. Yeah. The sponge. Yeah. So we're assuming a lot of things when we think that, um, your learner is just this passive vessel that's ready to, to absorb everything you say and everything they read. And that's it. And, and when you start, and when you start talking about the ways people learn, Jared, it's really, really important to consider that, you know, some people are more auditory, some people are more kinesthetic and, and we need to provide opportunities um, for people to learn in those environments. But the problem we can run into there is we can say, well, I only learn kinesthetics, so I have to be hands-on. And well, yeah, but life the life is is not developed in such a way or designed in such a way that you only uh, do your task in one way. So you have to have to experience all ways of yeah. learning and all ways of doing things. Um, but yes, we need to present to the people that we're teaching in a way that presents all those approaches: hands-on, auditory, visual. They need to experience all those. Uh, ways of learning so, so sure they can read something then they go and do something hands-on then they get coaching and mentorship and practice opportunities to practice what they've done so how so, how have you how has how has a vocational school adapted during covid when when everything <laughs> you know you know what i mean and so and and that's a great challenge right you look at well how am i supposed to train people that have to experience this and 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 I have a friend that also works in the uh, welding um, shop at at the same school as Keenan actually he's the welding instructor there and so him and I have talked about this so but how have you tried to compensate for being only able to teach people through you know lecture based really or what what is what does the training look like now during remote well there's when we're talking about teaching theory about something, so if you're going through theory, um, whether it's, it's in uh, welding or carpentry, so you're talking about learning different mathematics skills and all that, like I think all that can be done in an online environment. But now it's looking at how you teach those, how you, how you convey that message to your learners in a way that it's not just a lecture-based or you're looking at it as a teacher-focused environment it's now trying to create that online learning environment in a way that's experiential and more learner focused and that now requires using technology such as synchronous technology such as zoom or discussion boards or chat functions to have discussions debates um, group work using collaborative shared documents to to do group work in an asynchronous environment using discussion boards and learning management systems. So there's a lot of ways to, to uh, create an environment that involves uh, the learner to be more active in the learning process. Um, but when we talk about the main goal of a vocational school is to be hands-on applied learning. 
um, I, this is going to be a huge, huge challenge forward, I think, for an institution such as Saskatchewan Polytechnic, because the demand is online learning. People want that freedom to learn online. But um, we have had a product, a very specific product where it's small classes, small setting, and it's hand on, hands on experiential learning. And I think you lose a lot of that in the online environment. So, yes, I just said you can try to incorporate that into the online environment and you can do some well, of it, but it's limiting. You can't be a welder by, learn by watching the screen. You actually have to go and weld two pieces of metal together. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what made me think, what, what I thought about when you were talking about that was that um, Avixa, which is probably one of the largest uh, AV industries associations for us, they have micro credentials and you and I talked about micro credentials. Mm -hmm. And so on their installer, on their installer track, they have micro credentials on um, cable pulling. I think it's cable pulling. Do you know these markets? Cable pulling, um, mounting, and there's a third one. Terminating yeah, I knew, maybe? I knew mounting was one. I didn't know what all the micro credentials were. Let me look. I'll look while you're talking. Yeah, but part of, part of actually receiving your micro credential, which is really interesting, is you actually have to video yourself performing the task mm. and then you send that in. So they are still forcing people to actually get hands on and understand. Practice, now, right? so, where do people, where do people get access to pulling cables? So easy to do when you work for an integrator <laughs> already, That's right. <laughs> but that's when you brought up welders, then I go, Oh yeah, I guess, what is this guy going to have just a full welding set up in his garage? And <laughs> well, it's funny to say that sh funny. showing you. <laughs> it's funny to say that though. I, I run our, our new instructor orientations and um, we had to go all online and, and there's benefits to it, but there's also drawbacks. But I had a welder in my uh, new instructor orientation in, in May and um, they, he happened to have actually a whole welding set up in his garage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go okay well <laughs> so it worked out really well he was able to do demonstrations and uh and record a bunch of stuff for his students but again you can watch a guy weld pieces of metal together and i'm simplifying welding but um that's not enough <laughs> yeah but so, yeah you can use technology like you said to record yourself completing a task but who has access to all that equipment? yeah you're not involved in those industries yeah, I think the, um, you were right, by the way, Jared, mounting, pulling cable and terminating cable are the three, yeah. uh, three micro credentials that Avixa launched, it looks like in 2017. So good, good job on that. Look at you, man. Um, <laughs> hey, I was going to say something in, in the form of a, of a story here and in, in this, this kind of hands-on demonstrative kind of learning environment. So I had, a, I had a friend, we're talking about friends, I had a friend who was actually best man at my wedding. Um, you know, uh, first generation U.S. Uh, his dad was from Bari, Italy, um, and his dad owned an Italian ice cream, an Italian ice company in Arizona. So you can imagine the refrigeration costs in Phoenix of uh, running an Italian ice company. <laughs> but uh, so one day I'm in there and I'm helping them. And I, I did this from time to time. They would have shipments that need to go out or something that needed to happen. And as a friend, I would just come and volunteer some time to help them get something out the door if they had a time crunch. Um, I used to do some deliveries for free too, cause I had a pickup truck. Right. So I got, I got to do a little bit of work with these, 
that's, that's the life of owning a truck. The life of owning a truck is picking up and dropping things off for free. Yes. Half the time. For free the for other people. <laughs> for other people. <laughs> I bought this truck for me, but I seem to be dropping things off for other people all the time. Um, yeah. So, so I was doing that. I, I went in one day and a lot of times I would just be shrink wrapping boxes or I'd be filling little cups with Italian ice. Um, this day, my job was to make tartufo. I don't know if you've had tartufo, but tartufo is like a scoop of ice cream. It's usually some Italian ice cream like amaretto or hazelnut or something like that. Um, so it's a, a scoop of ice cream or gelato, really. Um, it has a cherry in the middle, like a deep, dark chocolate, you know, a yep. deep, dark cherry in the middle. And then after that, that what they good. do is that it's dipped in, it's dipped in chocolate. So it's kind of this frozen chocolate shell with gelato in the middle with the cherry in the center, right? And so that these- sounds really good. It's, a, it's amazing. It's insanely yeah. amazing. And, and these guys had amazing gelato. So anyways, uh, I'm making tartufo and tartufo has this kind of three-step process. So at one point, somebody makes a bunch of ice cream scoops. Um, they refreeze those so that they're a little more solid so you can handle them. Um, the second stage, you pick them up, you put the cherry in the middle and the third stage, they dip them. Well, I'm working in stage two. So my job is to get a cherry into the center of a scoop of ice cream. And <laughs> I'm putting these cherries in the center of the scoop of ice cream. And there's this very technical process by which you take a gloved hand, you stab your thumb into the bottom yep. of the scoop of ice cream. You put a cherry in there, you grab a little ice cream and you smooth it over and you put it back on the tray. That's how it gets in the middle, right? Um, so somebody's thumb goes technically in this scoop of ice cream. So I'm working away. I'm proud of myself. I'm, I'm doing my community service. I'm yep. working for free, helping a friend. I'm, I'm doing these cherries, you know, I think I'm getting a rhythm going and I have this, uh, you know, 70 year old Italian man, Angelo, Angelo Rana, if that, if you could have a more Italian name than that, I don't know what it is, but, uh, Angelo Rana, he comes over and he's, and his name's on the box, right? It's Angelo's Italian ices, Angelo's gelatos pictures on the box. It, this is, this is him. This is him in this box that I'm putting there. And yeah. apparently I'm putting the cherry and the scoop of the ice cream wrong. Now, I don't know how hard it is to put your thumb in a scoop of ice cream <laughs> and put a cherry in, but he comes over to me. He's like, Mark, Mark, no, 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 no. And he picks up a scoop of ice cream. Or he doesn't, he doesn't pick up a scoop of ice cream. That's the problem. He should have. If he picked up a scoop of ice cream, maybe I would understand what he was doing. He goes, Mark, you're doing it like this. You need to do it like that. I said, okay. And, and I'm, he's, he's moving his hand. But I don't understand, like, if my thumb goes in the ice cream and into the center, if it goes in sideways versus vertical, does that matter? Because if you rotate the scoop of ice cream, you know, the thumb went in either direction, <laughs> right? Like, it's all orientation specific. But he had this very specific idea of how he wanted me to do it. I went back through. A couple minutes later, he comes back and he watches me for a second. He goes, Mark, go shrink wrap some boxes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got kicked out. I felt like Kramer, right? From you Seinfeld. Know. I got, I got fired from a job I was doing for free um, <laughs> for apparently not being able to put a, my thumb in the scoop of ice cream the way that someone wanted me to do it. But I came away from that experience with like, it's very like if there, if there is a technique that we're like, it's very hard. It's very hard to just tell somebody like, this is what you do. Like, especially if you have this very specific way that you've done it for 18 years. My question for this, the reason I tell this story uh, and my question for Keenan, 
Do you find that sometimes people are stuck on a methodology that they've used, but maybe they've used out of habit or because it was good for them? And it, but it's not really, it's not really necessary or conducive to knowing how to do the job right. It's just more something that they've done. And how do you kind of break people away from, I guess, their paradigm of I've always done it this way to, well, there are really three or four valid ways to do this. And, and I, and everyone who does it in one of those four ways is actually doing it in a in a way that's okay. Like, do you find that's a challenge sometimes? I think so. And I was, I was just watching some uh, video yesterday about our ego. Yeah. <laughs> I think it yeah. really comes down to our ego getting in the way because you can hammer home to someone that there's many different ways to do something. There's many different ways to teach someone that, that content. And yeah. however, it, what was, was just, whether it's ego or it's self-confidence or whatever it is, it's we, and I'm guilty for this. It's hard, sometimes hard to break away from the way that I've always done things and have always worked for me, even though I realize that there's other ways to do it that are going to work better for other people. So I think it's this matter of getting past our, our ego a little bit and thinking yeah. about how we can best serve other people. Um, and, and our employees or our learners or however you want to look at it, um, how can we best serve them? And I know, Jared, and I, you and I had a really good conversation about, uh, not necessarily directly about this topic on the weekend, but we were just talking about um, working with people and uh, kind of a, not necessarily adapting, but flexing a bit to make sure you're providing them with the best opportunity to succeed in yep. your working environment or in your learning environment and all, and all that. And it's not bending over backwards and giving up your morals and giving up who you are, but it's, it's, it's understanding that just because I do this doesn't mean so it's going to do this. How can yeah. I best serve them to then best serve me and my company? Because <laughs> it all is a full circle, right? And we, and we talked the, the key word that we talked about, and I've, I've talked about this in the past is, is being outcome focused. Mm -hmm. And so I know, <clears throat> when you and I have talked about writing um, when you write uh, educational plans, the, one of the first things you're, you identify is the outcome. And, and I think, yeah, what will you at the end of this course, you will be able to terminate an RJ 45 connector. And now Mark, you're right. There is, there are some times where there, there are very specific ways to do things and, and if that's the case, but if it's one of those things that can be done in multiple in, in a multitude of different ways, you do have to change to being outcome focused. And it's like, okay, well, at the end of this, we've done the course. Can you now do what I've, what I've asked of you? So, yeah, I think that's an important part going, going all the way back to where we asked, um, you know, or where we talked about when you, when you're doing on the job training, first of all, does the person that has been assigned the education or does the person that's been assigned as the educator know that they are to be the educator? And secondly, do they know what the outcome is for the person they are educating? And I think that's probably lost in our, I mean, I think in the trades and any on the job training, I think those are two big parts that are missed is, you know, Jim was just told that Keenan's helping him for the next couple of weeks. Like that's, 
you know, and unless, unless Jim is very intuitive and kind of keen in that sense. But if, if you don't say to him, Hey, you know, you're going to train Keenan, you're responsible for that. And here is what he needs to know by the, by the end of the two weeks, this is what he needs to know how to do. And is there a way that you can assess someone's prior knowledge? So you hire somebody. Yeah. And say, okay, because in, in Mark, you alluded to this a little bit earlier about how, um, you know, someone might have some skills in one area, but you know, there's some gaps or uh, something missing in another, they need to learn, learn more. So if you send someone off to be someone's puppy for a week to learn how, or just to follow someone with no clear direction of what they need to do, yeah, or you're spending too much time on what they already know, you're wasting a lot of time in your onboarding process of getting these people to be effective employees in your industry or in your business. So is there a way to pre-screen or pre-assess and say, okay, this person is really strong in these areas, but there's knowledge gaps here. We need to spend the time to make sure that we fill in these gaps. And in education, we simply call it pre-assessment. And now we ask our, our instructors to do a pre-assessment to gauge what their learners already know. So they spend less time on something that you know, these learners are strong in and spend more time on the areas that they're weaker in and they need to develop more in. Um, now it's hard in a group of 30 people to start individualizing like that. Um, but I think when you're in a smaller setting where you're onboarding one or two or three employees at a time, you yeah. might be able to focus in on here's, here's what they know. Here's, here's the gaps. Let's fill in these gaps for that onboarding process. And you start to spend your time in a more meaningful way. No, that's just my opinion, but I think that pre-assessment could go a hell of a long way. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, when we say, we, we said earlier about, you know, show someone the ropes, right? Yeah. And I think this, this part of the topic comes right back to that as far as number one, defining the outcomes and the pre-assessment. But I think the other thing of just show them the ropes, it, it requires both people to be very self-aware. And some people yeah. just aren't right. Like, I mean, it requires the learner to be self-aware of what their gaps are and what they need. And it requires them to understand what they don't be able to isolate what they don't know. Like, how do I, how do I ask for coaching on something that I don't know is important yet? Right. Yeah. So, you know, just saying, follow somebody around and, and ask questions puts too much emphasis on the learner um, in a way and, and on the self-awareness and kind of the soft skills, but it also does the same thing to the instructor, right? Like they, so this, this idea of actually having to build a, a student teacher, um, relationship and interaction, um, and somebody to be able to look at somebody's strengths and weaknesses. And I, those are the type of soft skills. I know, like I've been pushing for soft skills in AV for a little while that I think we, we focus a lot on these very technical skills, but we don't yeah. focus a lot on the soft and it's the same thing with, um, I'd say you have the same principles when you're dealing with customers where you're providing them technology that they've never used before. It's yeah. familiar to you and you think it's valuable. So your company sells it to them and implements it. They buy it and then you just, you leave. And there's no real, I mean, other than this is the way it works and here's your laminated sheet. There's no real assessment of what do they do? Where, where are their paradigms? Where are they coming from? What is going to be their biggest hurdle in adopting this? Um, you know, how do we how do we provide the right type of hands-on 
experience with this so that when we leave, they actually use it. And Jared and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's that day 30 yeah. experience versus that day one experience. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of value in these skill sets. Um, we had Luke Jordan on the show once too, who's a gentleman from our industry who owns a company. He's like, he's a lot like Jared. He's a young guy. Um, he's actually coming up. He's, he's taken partial ownership, bought part of the company, his brother's taking part of the company. Um, and they're slowly taking ownership of this company over time. And, uh, you know, he's a big fan of, of creating, when you're talking about ego, Keenan, um, creating this expectation that there, that it, sometimes there will be a leader leader relationship that sometimes the student will be teaching um, the person who's been doing this for 40 years, kind of the paradigm of what, what the world looks like now as he's coming into it or she's coming into it so that Mm -hmm. that, so that they actually kind of start to learn from each other a little bit. And then I think that could give the instructor a real basis for how to best teach, right? Like being open to learning a little bit about where that other person is coming from. I really like what you said there because it's, I think it's so important that we recognize prior experience of all individuals i don't care if you're you're 60 80 or if you're 18 we all have private uh, prior experience in some in some way whether it's through with technology or with if it's through work and even though you're a 30-year employee in an, in an organization doesn't mean that that's where you stop learning and stop learning from others and you can't take something in from uh, a guy who's or a person who's been in your industry or in you know for six months like there there should be a reciprocal relationship there because we can all learn from each other and that's it's really important and that's where the ego starts to get in the way is yeah. we have to be open to learning from each other even though you're the mentor you can still learn from the mentee <laughs> yeah yeah and, it's such a it's such a big thing and i think I, I think that really starts to become the unlock i mean especially in a world where you know, we talk about the old, you talked about the old education system where the student is a vessel for this knowledge that you're about to impart. And you're, you are the, in the old, in, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that, that subject matter lived in a book and in, in, you know, 50 people's heads. Um, today, if a person has interest in that, they probably already read most of the stuff that you could tell them in a class. Mm-hmm. especially if they have a deep passion for it. Uh, so, so they, or they listen to it on their way they, to work. <laughs> yeah, depending. Yeah, exactly. Talking yeah. about learning styles, they listen to it on audible or on a podcast. They watch 18 YouTube videos about it. I mean, yeah. I'm, I walk in the living room and my son's playing some game, um, you know, on the internet and he's showing me how, when he goes into the Google settings, he can create, he can actually see the base level stats that come up in the game and he can give himself extra stuff in the beginning by adjusting the code slightly, uh, at the, <laughs> and then starting the game at a deeper point than where most people start the game when they come in. And he, he doesn't go to a coding class or anything like that. He, he watches YouTube <laughs> hacks. He, he, you know, like he has an interest in the subject and he is yeah. exploring that on his own and finding these things. So, you know, the idea that meetings, classes, um, education in general, the sharing of information, um, that the best use of our time sitting in a zoom room is for somebody to tell me something. It's probably the worst possible use of that meeting time is for somebody to read me for something sure. that I could read, like you said, asynchronously, gather notes on 
fill my knowledge gaps on what I can figure out on my own so that I don't feel like I'm asking stupid questions. So I, maybe I Google a couple acronyms. I look at, Oh, I know that. I just didn't know it by that term. Mm -hmm. And then I get down to the three things I really need to know to drive that concept home. Then we have a meeting and then I ask those three very specific questions. Yeah. The instructor <laughs> is now forming content to me. I'm self-aware of where my gaps are. All of a sudden we have a 20 minute meeting and I leave knowing what to do as opposed to we have an hour meeting where you talk to me and then four days later, I figure out, I don't understand a word you said, you yeah. know, like, <laughs> and that, and that's actually the concept of the flipped classroom, flipped yeah. learning and, and blended learning that you just yep. described that term to a T and, and in education, we're starting to uh, encourage people to do the flipped approach, yep. do the, the lecturing and the reading that passive stuff on your own come into the classroom and we spend our time having discussions and applying that knowledge and working with that knowledge and working out the kinks in your knowledge gaps. Uh, at, and and it, it seems it's far more effective because now we can have those productive conversations. I read everything. Now I'm applying it. I'm having conversations. I'm asking questions. I have more confidence because I've read all of this stuff. Now I have more confidence to actually ask the instructor or the mentor or the coach or whoever it is that question or say, Hey, I don't, I still am not clear. I'm more confident now because I have all this knowledge. I've read all this stuff. I've watched all this stuff. And that, that flipped approach seems to be a really effective way to have those conversations, to apply that knowledge. To, uh, and you're right. Like if you're doing something on zoom with your employees, have them learn something ahead of time, come in and now have conversations conversations and provide the opportunity to ask. Them. Yeah. So, yeah. And it, and, go ahead. I don't, and, and again, so, again, ego sometimes gets in the way of this and, I, and maybe I'm just, ego's always in the way. <laughs> I can tell you right I'm, now, it's, if something's in the way, it's the ego all the time. Maybe I'm smashing this too, too much, but I find that in adult education, the ego gets in the way in the sense that we're so focused on looking like, the knowledgeable, the most knowledgeable person in the room. We know all, we are the, the vessels of knowledge. We have the experience. And now you're going to, I'm going to pass that knowledge on to you. But if we can just open up a little bit and say, here's, you know, I do have all this experience. I do have all this knowledge. I still have gaps because technology is changing in insurmountable ways that, you know, I still, I, I gaps will appear in my knowledge so I can learn from you. However, instead of me just telling you something, you're going to forget it and you're going to be lost. Let's form this in a different way where we can have conversations and work together and yeah. debate about it. I think that's important. We need to have debates about things. I want to do it this way. And then the learner should be confident enough to say, well, I don't know. I, this is things I've learned and things I've read. I don't know if this is the most effective way to do it. Let's have a debate on it. Let's talk about it. Let's argue about it. Let's find a way that we can maybe come in, in the middle and and, and, and it seems to be that critical thinking piece that we're missing in work and in politics and everything in life that we yeah. need to be able to come together and say, well, I like it this way. I like it this way. Let's talk about it and, and let's then, work it out and let's learn from each other. And then realize <laughs> at the end of your debate that it doesn't matter because you both achieve the same outcome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so, so Mark, we're gonna have to start wrapping it up soon. I, I, I know, this is something we could talk about forever, but I think so. I mean, I think what, what are, what are the takeaways? 
Well, I mean, there are a ton of takeaways. Keenan, Keenan dropped a lot of knowledge today, which is awesome. Keenan's a beast. Um, so number one, drop number one, drop the ego, right? <laughs> Num- number two, subject matter experts are extremely important to knowledge transfer in many industries and walks of life. Um, but those people do need soft skills and coaching yeah. on the actual way to transfer knowledge in the best possible way so that it's absorbed by a student. Um, many times that's hands-on. Um, and if you can't be hands-on, you have to get very creative in how you vary something learning style-wise so that you're not um, you know, taking a, a, a passage from a book and putting it into a YouTube video with, you know, like you have to, you have to make sure that you're able to address some of those different modes in a way, even when you're doing it virtually and remotely. Um, and outcomes driven approaches work best. I like that. I've been trying yeah. to say that on, on, uh, conference <laughs> rooms and things like, why are we having a meeting? Like, what is the point of the meeting? Right? Like if you're going to meet there, there are only three, there are only three reasons to actually meet in person there to, to, to have a forum so that you have different perspectives represented there to actually make a decision or it's to, to, um, to forge a team. And if you're not doing one of those three things, if you're sharing information, it's probably not a good meeting, right? It's not going to be a good reason to actually have people in the room together listening uh, to you at the and same I, time. And if I can quickly add to that, like I, if you look at the theory of adult learning, adult, adults are motivated in very specific, tend to be intrinsically motivated in the sense there's extrinsic factors there, but adults want to know how does this benefit me? How does this solve the current problems that I have yeah. and how can I use this going forward? So if you have a meeting or something that's just, and I have a lot of these meetings where I feel like, what was that about? What am yeah. I taking away from this? You need, it need to be outcome-based by the end of whatever this is, I should be able to do this. Yeah. And, and uh, that's how you motivate adults <laughs> or people. This is what I should be able to do by the time I'm done this. Yeah. It needs to be very, very specific. I, yeah, I love that. I think that's a great way to wrap, actually. I think, you know, I think for most uh, of us. That was the closing argument? That was yeah, it. I think that's a great closing <laughs> argument. I think that's a great closing argument. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I like this whole conversation because I, I think this is something that people in our industry struggle with a ton um, is, is, is bringing on that new generation and educating them without inundating them and, and boring them and turning them off from the, the, the job and yeah, I like it. Cool. Well, Hey, Keenan, thanks so much, man, for coming and joining us. Jared, yeah. thanks. Thanks for bringing your friend. Bring it. It was bring a friend I'm day. Like a, I'm like a talent <laughs> scout. <laughs> Ta- well, talent scout, Jared Hillman. Yeah. Well, thanks well, for having me guys. Yeah, no, no worries. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on AV Daybreak. We will uh, be back next week. We'd love to hear your thoughts on learning and maybe how we can apply what Keenan was talking about today um, through his experience in our AV trainings, especially with the uh, current Avixa call for presenters out and a lot of things that are going on here over the next few months and our own struggles to take things virtual. Um, Feel free to engage on social and uh, we'd love to see some some conversation about how we take these things and apply them specifically to our industry. So yep. we, with that, we will see you all next week. Take care.